This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I hope you're doing well today, and I'm really excited about this show. You know, the the Constitution guarantees that people uh, going through the criminal justice system have a right to counsel, and uh, we are very fortunate to have... Andre Degree, who is the state public defender on the show this week. And uh, Andre, would you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in being a public defender? Sure. Um, I've been the state public defender now for about four and a half years. Um, Before that, uh, I guess I'm also still the capital defender. We we have a death penalty office in our under our umbrella, and, and I've done that for about 20 years. And before that, I got some time, about five or six years, in the Hines County Public Defender's Office, where I did all kinds of cases, and um, actually had a cattle rustling case back at the, that uh, you know you don't you don't get when you move up to the state defender office. And then uh, I also I started out my career doing working at a capital defense resource center where we it was based at Mississippi College, and we helped lawyers with uh, death penalty cases and, and did a lot of post-conviction work. So that, um, you know, it's now, I guess, over 30 years that I've been doing some form of public defense work. Well, that's great work. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the Office of State Public Defender? What what exactly does it do? The, the, um, the state defender, because most of indigent defense in Mississippi is provided at the local level, either municipal or county level, uh, the state defender's role is uh, just we have a handful of programs we do. I mentioned the capital defense office. If if a capital murder case, if the, if the prosecutor is seeking the death penalty, uh, our office, lawyers and investigators from our office will join the local public defender in defending that person. Um, that was the original office. And then later, an appeals office was created. So we do most of and, and really all of the indigent uh, appeals for people who are convicted of felonies. We also can do some some youth court. We have a few, uh, both in the child welfare side and the delinquency side. Uh, there's not a lot of appeals that happen in that area, but we we can cover those through our appeals unit. And we have a training division that we train public defenders, any any court you may be in, that includes parent defenders and child welfare, youth defenders, misdemeanor defenders, felony defenders, including doing capital trainings. Uh, Every every couple of years, so in the, the training division is our, our real contact with public defenders around the state. 
Um, and as I've mentioned, we've gotten into this area of representing parents in child welfare cases. So if they're at risk of their child's been removed or they're at risk of losing their parental rights, we can be involved in, in helping in those situations. Um, and then my other, the, the big role as state defender is to be the policy person for indigent defense. And so I spend a lot of time at the legislature uh, trying to, to give them a, a defense perspective of bills that are, that are coming up uh, in their regular committees and also trying to, to develop plans for expanding the state's role in indigent defense and helping the counties out more there. We're speaking with uh, State Defender Andre Degree. He's in his office with some law books behind him. Uh, Professor Richard Gershon is from his dining room, living room couch area, uh, and I'm at MPB. We want to hear from you. Email us. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This morning, we're going to be talking about bail. Do you have questions about it? Um, Do you have any experience with it? We want to hear your thoughts and questions. Andre, uh, it's it's so fascinating. You and I were talking before the show about uh, the famous case of Gideon versus Wainwright, and that involved an indigent, uh, and at that time, Florida only provided a public defender for capital cases, and um, he claimed that his constitutional rights were were not protected because he didn't have counsel at a a non-capital case, and that court held now that that, uh, people are entitled to right uh, to counsel, appointed counsel, even in non-capital offenses. So um, how, when you talk about that, that's, you talked about indigents. Who are the indigents? Um, well, pretty much everybody in the criminal in the criminal justice system. Um, so we know that when, when we've done some just looking at cases that have been disposed of in the system over a number of years, um, and it varies from county to county, but about eighty percent of the people who come through the felony criminal justice system end up needing appointed counsel. Um, Now, the question of how do we know a person's indigent or not, um, it's really up to the judge. We don't have a standard of indigence. In fact, a a bill that what we've been talking to the legislature about is needing to uh, adopt a standard of what is indigence. Uh, But right now, Judges, uh, if they, when the person presents before them without a lawyer, they will, uh, they'll go through a process. Some places actually have formal application process where you have to tell the judge how much money you have, if you have any property, and, uh, and then they will decide whether or not you can afford a lawyer. Uh, but ultimately, the case can't go forward if you don't have a lawyer. So I, I think they they lean towards um, giving you a lawyer if if um, you're otherwise not going to be able to move the case forward. By comparison, uh, we've had uh, members from North Mississippi Rural Legal Services on, for example. You know, when they, when they do the civil, uh, when, when uh, civil organizations like that, nonprofits, uh, do uh, uh, civil cases, they look, at, they look at income levels and things like that. 
Um, so it's interesting that there's not not such a, a guideline for for the public defender. It would, um, and we've, we're working with uh, Legal Center for Legal Services on this parent representation program, and, and part of our uh, grant to them to fund a position in their office is, you know, we use their standard for indigents. The person has to qualify for their services in order to uh, be assigned to the lawyer that we fund. And... Um, you know, our recommendation to the legislature is basically to adopt a, a statute that they use in the criminal justice system for judges to decide whether or not they should suspend a fine. Um, and that's tied to the federal poverty level. I think it's probably too low, but uh, based on the clients that I represented, they probably meet that even very low threshold of 125 percent. You know, you, you've been, uh, you mentioned you've been uh, with the State Defender's Office for a long time. And how long have you been the State Defender and how did you get selected to that position? Um, I was, uh, the, the State Defender is appointed by the governor and then has to be confirmed by the Senate. And I was uh, appointed by Governor Bryant. Um, in 2016, when Leslie Lee, who was the original state defender, the, the program was created by merging the indigent appeals and training division with the capital uh, or office with the capital office to make them uh, and make them divisions of the state defender. And Leslie was appointed uh, by Governor Barber to be the first state defender. And then um, when she retired, Governor Bryant appointed me. And uh, just a few weeks ago, Governor Reeves reappointed me. So I, I have to go back before the Senate. But I've now been before, um, um, I guess, through one appointment by Governor Musgrove, two by Governor Barber, one by Governor Bryant. I, I feel uh, pretty good. I, I, sh I don't want to jinx it, but I've got to go back before the the Senate. And uh, I'm at retirement now. I, I've I've reached enough years in state service, so if the Senate doesn't doesn't want me, I'm I'm okay. Well, we want you, and we're so glad that you're able to be with us on in legal terms today. You can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing your bail rights with our guest, State Defender Andre Degree, who's been a frequent guest on our show, talking about the issues his office oversees. We'll tell you about those broadcasts and topics next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is In Legal Terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as all our local shows are. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we've been fortunate to have guest State Defender Andre Degree on our show. He was on April 3rd of 2018 to discuss public defenders. Indigent defense was our topic on May 28th of 2019. And we had capital defense as our topic on October 15th of 2019. Today we're talking about how bail works. Yes, and so what, yeah, let it, what is bail exactly? I mean, that's part of the process, I realize, and that's that's a that's you know an important part of the process. But what exactly is bail? Well, I, I think the place to start, the fundamental place, is that it's in our Constitution. We have both both within the Eighth Amendment of uh, of the federal Constitution and also in Section twenty nine of our state Constitution that there's a right to bail. That's a fundamental constitutional right. Now, it's not an unlimited right. And then when you get past what's in the Constitution, then it has to be implemented. And, and so we also have rules and statutes that govern it. Um, so basically, bail is the, the purpose of bail is primarily to make sure a person charged with a crime comes back for court when when their trial is set, um, and so the the if the person we I don't know where this mo- idea of monetary bail came from, but um, the you know the idea is if the person is going to have to pay just for not showing up, they may still have to pay for the case later, uh, pay their debt to society if convicted, but. This just lets them get out because, of course, they're presumed innocent until the trial. And so the concept of bail is that if we if we put a condition on them that they're going to have to pay a certain amount of money if they don't show up when they're supposed to, then they'll show up. How is that amount of money determined? It seems like, you know, that could be that in itself could be prohibitive for someone if, they, if somebody if the court says you got to make a million dollar bail and they don't have anywhere near that kind of money. Yeah, you know, we, we sort of mentioned briefly the the standard determining whether or not someone gets a lawyer. It's it's really similar in Mississippi that the judges that the judge who has jurisdiction of, of the case is to determine the bail. And so the what the Constitution says is bail can't be excessive. So um, there are, and it's come out of, it's now in the rules, there, there are about a dozen or so factors that the judge is supposed to consider. It, it came from a case 
where uh, uh, Mr. Lee was being held in jail down in Pike County and he sued the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Lawson. So the case of Lee versus Lawson was the first case for the Mississippi Supreme Court to tell the judges what criteria you have to consider in setting bail. And, and so they, they have some guidance um, and our Supreme Court in the rules has actually uh, given uh, sort of guidelines, uh, ranges for what judges should set bail at. Um, but, but the key is that, that it has to be tailored to the individual. We're going to go to Jim in Madison. Jim, thanks for being part of our show today. What's your question or comment? Good morning. Um, Dean Gershon and Andre both uh, just touched on uh, sort of the subject of my call. Um, one of the greatest misunderstandings among the lay public, in my view, is that bail is intended as somehow punishment for people who are accused of crimes. And, and you know, uh, that message needs to be made that Andre just said, that it's, it's only to ensure that the defendant shows up for the trial. Uh, and individual circumstances, or as Dean Gershon said, uh, individual circumstances are going to determine what kind of bail is appropriate for any particular individual. Uh, there is a municipal judge in a city that's a suburb of Jackson, which I won't name, um, who delights in setting million-dollar bails for um, bail amounts for uh, people who are accused of uh, felonies short of homicide. And, and it's ridiculous. And yet I have neighbors who say, isn't that wonderful that the judge set a million-dollar bail for that guy that, uh, you know, stole $50 from the grocery store till. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how to get the message across, but it needs to be gotten across. Thank you, Jim. Andre, do you want to mention anything more about that? Well, uh, I, I, first I should say amen to Jim. Um, it, it, that is a, I do believe it, that there's still a misconception when someone's released on bail, there's the, you know, why, why are they being released? Uh, they did a terrible thing. Well, well, that's what the trial's for. We hadn't determined what, what they've done. Um, you know, there, there is, if you just read the new rules, and I, I keep calling them new rules, they were the, they're the original rules. They came out in 2017. Uh, they didn't go as far as we thought they should to to really create this presumption of release on your own recognizance um, that that you really shouldn't that money bail requiring requiring someone to put up money or property um, should be the exception and not the rule and and that's not what that's not what's happening here in Mississippi. Uh, you know, if a person, and you can be denied bail if the judge determines that you're um, that you're a danger to the community, and so if if that if that determination is made, then giving you a million dollar bail isn't you know it, it doesn't accomplish keeping society safe. So it, it really does. We have a lot of people in jail simply because they don't have $100 or $200 to, to make bail, and that shouldn't happen. 
We have a call waiting. Let's go to Karen in Jackson. Karen, thank you for being part of In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? So the first one, it's a comment and a question. I understand that there is a bail fund or collective fund or something in one of our larger counties in Mississippi. And is um, is Hines County the only one that has that? And why don't we have more of those um, throughout Mississippi? How do they get started? How can um, people get involved in that? Um, and then the other, uh, it's, it's a sad comment, but it seems like among the general public, once a person has been accused of a crime or arrested by the police, then that person is automatically considered guilty. When that's many times as far from the truth as you can get. Um, and how can, how can the general public help that? Andre, what uh, what do you have to say about the bail funds? Thanks, Karen. We appreciate you calling um, in. So the the bail funds, um, they're they're different bail funds that started around the country, and we do have one. It's actually not limited to. It started. It's based in Hines County in Jackson. Uh, but the Mississippi Bail Collective, and I think part of the question was, how do we find out about them? Uh, I would Google them um, because I can't give you the, the where they are right now, but I know they've got a, a media presence, uh, social media presence. So what a bail fund or a bail collective is, is they, they have funds that are usually donated and they post fun, those funds to a person to get them out of jail, um, and and that the, that money is on deposit with the clerk. And if the person does what they're supposed to do, they uh, show up when they're supposed to. The money goes back to the fund, and they reuse it. And so. Um, the, this we got involved actually through our office through our training division with the bail collective uh, here and we've we've our role is to connect local public defenders who have clients sitting in jail who can't make bail with the collective and the great thing we found about the collective they've got. Uh, a social worker on contract. They they go in and they meet the person and figure out what their needs are, and then as any social worker would do, help connect them to their needs once they get out. So they do a little front end reentry work, reentering from the jail as opposed to what we usually talk about from prison, um, and that helps them. You know, they they've got an investment in this person now, so they want to help them. It's all, um, they operate all on donated uh, funds. And, and uh, so that's, that's working in Mississippi. I think they're limited in the amount, uh, number of people they can bail out. Um, but they are, they are out there and, and functioning. And really, it's, a, it's, a great, it's great for everybody that they touch. And Andre, is the, there anything we can do to change uh, 
people uh, and what they think if someone becomes arrested? Well, I, I think that that we could start uh, a like a podcast or a radio show and uh, and bring people on and talk about these kinds of things and um, and get people get people thinking. We could call it Think Radio. Um, <laughs> so you know, seriously, we I mean, we just have to every opportunity. That's you know, I, I'm happy to take time out today to talk because. Um, you know, it's, it's, we've got to always be willing to go into the public square and talk about what our clients experience because most people, thankfully, never experience the criminal, the criminal legal system. Um, and so we have to be willing to talk about it and, and hopefully change some hearts and minds and see people as, as our sisters and brothers who are in a bad situation. You know, Andre, it's, it's why we have the Innocence Project here at, at the law school, and, and there are other Innocence Projects around the country, because there are people who are wrongly convicted, uh, who go through the system, don't have the support that they need, don't have the uh, the representation they need, and, and it turns out they were wrongly convicted. So isn't it better that we, we really do believe in that presumption of innocence and uh, and protect it? Email us your questions. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with guest state defender Andre Degree about our rights regarding bail. And we're talk- we just mentioned public opinion. This is a serious topic, but Hollywood seems to like the topic of bail and bail bondsmen. We're going to tell you some movies that mention bail. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are lots of different podcasting platforms. I happen to use Podcast Addict, but there are Stitcher. There's one that comes on Apple phones. You, you download it to your phone or your smart device. Touch the plus. Uh, that takes me to a page to search for podcasts by name. I typed in in legal terms in the search area. It brings up in legal terms, and then I'm able to touch the photo and subscribe so that I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up which should be in the afternoon of each Tuesday. 
Some movies that use bail and bail bondsmen or bondswomen as plot points. Maybe you've heard of Midnight Run in 1988, One for the Money in 2012, or A Dangerous Profession from 1949. This morning, we're talking about your bail rights with our guest, State Defender Andre Degree. And Liz mentioned bail bondsmen, Andre. I, um, how do they work in the system? I mean, if I if I somebody is a court assesses a hundred thousand dollar bail for me, and I can't I can't raise that kind of money, is there a process where I can put up some of the money to 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 uh, to get bail to make bail? The Mississippi has what are called bail bondsmen. Uh, I think uh, most people are probably familiar with Dog the Bounty Hunter, which uh, covers the exciting part of the bail bond industry where they're out trying to track people down. Uh, but most uh, the what a bail bondsman is, is uh, they're, they're um, regulated by the insurance commissioner. They, they are their sureties. They... They enter into a contract with the person. They bail them out of jail um, and on the promise that if they don't show up, the, the company is supposed to pay the money. Um, and so, uh, you know, and really we talked about the bail collective. The bail collective is really the same thing as the bail bondsman, except they're putting 100% of, of the cash amount. So if the the bail bond is set at, the bail is set at a hundred thousand dollars the the bail fund would put up a hundred thousand deposit a hundred thousand dollars cash and uh and that would be if the person doesn't show up the court gets to keep it all the bail bondsman would uh just signs to agree to so in in if it doesn't show up then the judge can put an order in for them they get a chance to go and find the person and, and can arrest them and bring them back. Um, the, so that it's what the charge to the person or what the, uh, the premium is, is usually about 10%. So there, there may be some other fees associated, but it's, uh, if you use a bail bondsman and, and the quickest way out of jail is, when you the night you get arrested, you call the bail bondsman and and they'll come and get you out and um, you pay them ten percent and that money's gone. The bail bond that's what the bail bondsman how they make their living. Um, and as long as you show up, then it doesn't cost them anything more than that and and you just never see that money again. The um, that that answer the question. It does. Thank you for that. And and you know, let's move on because you you also defend uh, those accused of capital crimes, which you know are obviously more serious charges. Um, are, are there special bail rules rules for defendants who are uh, under you know in a capital offense kind of situation? Yeah, there, there are. Um, it's obviously, it's more there. There are exceptions, and I alluded to this early. You know, the, when you read the Eighth Amendment to the Federal Constitution, it says no excessive bail. Period. Um, but court opinions on that have recognized that some people may not 
you know, you may have to, because of their danger to the community or because they may have the means to go flee to another, a distant place, whether that be Alabama or, or China, they, they can get out and go someplace. So you, um, you set a higher bail um, or, you know, particularly in a property crime where the value of damage or the value that was stolen is so high that they may avoid coming back. Um, so in our courts have recognized that even the Eighth Amendment has limits. We put that into Section 29. And the first exception is if it's a capital crime. Now, it's you, you still have a right to bail, but they can deny it if, in, in the words of the constitutional provision, proof is evident and presumption great that you committed the crime. And so that would just be if the judge determines that there's enough evidence that that you are more likely than not guilty, um, then they can deny you bail altogether and you just are held there until you go to trial. Um, there, there are a couple of other provisions in there that uh, if, if you have a previous capital conviction or a conviction of 20 or more years, a sentence of 20 or more years, and you get arrested on a new charge, so you're out on parole or, well, not parole, because then you're going to get revoked for parole. If, you get, if you're out, have, but you have this serious crime in your past, they can deny bail. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that, so there are times. Now, if, 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 I, if I think, if, if I feel like I'm, uh, excessive bail is, is being, uh, you know, required of me, is there a process for arguing against excessive bail, either in the capital context or, or otherwise? Yes, there, there's um, provisions both in our rules and it's in the Constitution that if— if you are going through the process, you, you bail a set, you go before the, the local judge and the judge um, declines to reduce your bail or, may, or sets the bail at an amount that you can't make. And if you can't make it, then it's excessive as to you. Um, and so there are provisions you can appeal immediately to the Mississippi Supreme Court which ordinarily in a criminal case, you have to be tried before you can get up to appeal. Uh, this is an emergency writ under Rule 9 that you can file with them. And I've done that in a couple of cases going back to when I was uh, a public defender not dealing with a death penalty eligible case where I, I, rule, I filed a Rule 9 motion and, and the court generally hears those within about 30 days. So. Uh, they say an emergency, and when you get the Supreme Court to move in 30 days, that's that's emergency speed. Um, but so you, what you have to have, though, in order to go through this process is a lawyer who is going to be there to litigate your your bail in the lower court and to appeal it up. And that kind of loops back to one of the problems we see with our current indigent defense system is that the person bail gets set and they have their preliminary hearing and then they no longer have a lawyer until they get indicted. And so during that period where they're sitting there waiting for the state to do something, they have a bail they can't make 
they don't have a lawyer who can litigate that question of bail. Um, so that that's uh, it, it's been referred to as the black hole in the system, and it really it really is something that needs to be because it, it needs to be fixed. Because if you if you have a right but no one to advocate for you. Unless you're Clarence Gideon and you can get it out there yourself, um, you know. As we talked about, once he got it out there, though, he then had lawyers step in and, and really do a great job. So, you, we, it all comes back to to the holes in our indigent defense system. And I think you know the prosecutors often have access to the defendant before you would uh, in the system, and you know may even talk to them about. Uh, coming up with a plea deal before they really understand what their rights are, and that that can be problematic as well. Um, what about, I mean, so, we're, you know, we're, in talking about bail, I, does the court ever require GPS tracking? It, it seems like now we have the technology to to track down someone if they are going to flee. The, um, you know, what we've, I guess the maybe highest profile use of GPS was, um, in, in the case of Curtis Flowers, where, where Curtis got bail on a capital case after, because he had had a couple of mistrials, and and they put a GPS tracking on him, um, so you know they they could know where he was. It's it's my understanding that uh, the courts in Hines County actually use GPS quite a bit. Um, the the problem with some people getting released on bail with GPS is is who's going to pay for the GPS. And so, um, you know, if you have a judge who's willing to order the county to pay for the GPS, then, you know, then my clients can get out and use it. But uh, there, there are a number of conditions, and they actually set out conditions in Rule 8 the judges should consider and um but you know it, it's certainly the G- more gps tracking um just so w- would make i think it it more likely for people you just have to convince the local government that it's going to be easier to track this it's going to be cheaper to keep track of this person with a gps than to keep track of them when you're feeding them and taking care of their medical care and housing them in the jail pretrial. So it's, again, we're back to that whole, we just have to educate more. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is State Defender Andre Degree. We're talking about bail in Mississippi. Our MPB listeners are smart cookies, and they like to be informed. I'm going to tell you how you can read about bail next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show. Inlegalterms.mpbonline.org is our website. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you would like to do some further reading, you might want to take a look at the website, How Courts Work, Steps in a Trial, Bail. I'll have that link plus some other links for other things that we've discussed today on the website for the show or the podcast information. We are talking with State Defender Andre Degree on the concept and the practice of bail. We have a call, and it's Megan in Jackson. Megan, we appreciate you calling into in legal terms today. What is your comment or question? Well, sure. Thank you. I'm a regular listener, and this is, you have a wonderful program, so I was just intrigued by the discussion this morning and have a couple of quick questions. So, I know a lot of states have done away with the bail bondsman system, and uh, in its absence, you know, how does, how does that work? You know, and uh, so we pay every year, it seems like we pay our legislature about $7 million just to convene in the, in the capital. And uh, year after year, they don't do anything to address this. So here's my question. As a taxpayer, how much is, or is the state of Mississippi or spending on, let's say, you know, when you have people sitting in jail for, like, like you were talking earlier, you know, $100 would bail them out until they could, you know, uh, see a judge. How much is the state spending on keeping these people in jail for the low, low, you know, when we could, for the low, low price, we could, uh, you know, the churches or the whoever could bail them out, you know, and save the state a lot of money. And how many people are you talking about statewide that would fit that bill? Well, well, that's a, that's a great question. And Interestingly, um, this has been something we've been discussing for a number of years. Um, Nobody knows how many people we have in pretrial detention or why they're there. Um, One of Dean Gershon's colleagues, uh, Professor Cliff Johnson at the MacArthur Center, a few years ago started collecting data on who's in our jails and the um, based on on reports that the Supreme Court had ordered sheriffs to provide them, and and what it it's just tough to just pull this together. Some of the sheriffs submitted reports; they were handwritten. Some of them in Excel spreadsheets. And what uh, last year they created a task force to study the uh, jail developing a jail 
database and and that task force made some recommendations and a bill to do that um it's actually once this task force started meeting and people started talking we found out that the sheriffs were already doing this they already had all this information and it actually could be shared relatively easily and so there's a bill that's wor working its way through the process that would would be the first step at answering this question that you, once you create this centralized jail database at the Department of Public Safety, um, anybody can then go on and look and see who's in their local jail, what they're there for, what their the bail amount is. Um, and, and I think that policymakers will be able to look at that and say, well, you know, is there, why are we holding these people with this low amount? Is there something else we can do? Um, and I think then the, where you go with that is, is there, is there a better way? We talked a little bit about GPS, um, but there have been some using technology where, where they have either done away with bail bondsmen or, or just where their people, even the person who's released with a bail bondsman, the bail bondsman still has to keep track of them. But one of the experiments for public defenders that have worked in other places, and we have a few of our public defenders here who've tried to introduce this, that uh, the, the text messaging program like you have at your dentist office, I, I, have, I was a habitual forgetter of my dental appointments until a few years ago, and I, I started getting this text message the day before. Now, I'll tell you, I still missed one one time, but you, you, you know, there's no excuse because you get this text message that says, reply, let us know you know that you're supposed to be here Monday morning. And when they started doing that with people who were out on um, – on bail or on their own recognizance, usually um, the public defender sends them a text or their lawyer sends them a text and then they show up um, because what we're finding is that particularly on low level cases or misdemeanor cases, they're usually missing their court appointment because it's 90 days or maybe even six months after they get arrested and, and, you know, they can't remember what happened to them last week because, you know, people are not the bad things are generally happening in the lives of our clients that, um, you know, they maybe they just they've just forgotten and lost that piece of paper and they need that reminder. So there, there are things that are being done, experimented around the country, and we're trying to bring that in and introduce it to public defenders here so that uh, that we reduce those the the vast majority of, of the failure to appear, which is what the the charge is, the warrant, if the person doesn't show up when they're supposed to. Thank you, Megan. We appreciate you uh, bringing that. Uh, that was very interesting. I appreciate you asking that. You're so welcome. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's. I mean Megan, that was a great question, and I, I think it also raises the issue of, and, and Andre, you, you alluded to the fact that people get text now. There's some people who don't have even access to, to basic technology, and in this in this society as it's built now, you have to have that. I mean, I heard that people who have access to technology are getting uh, COVID vaccines 
uh, because they know how to, to get into the system and do that. People who don't have access are finding it much harder to get the vaccine. So, um, you know, maybe that's that's part of a more systemic change. Before we, before we uh, I know we got to close soon. The day just the time just went by so fast and it's such a great topic. But we're talking about trial process and and. You know, bail happens before a trial. Can someone who is appealing a trial also be out on bail during pending the appeal? They, there is a uh, statutory right to bail on appeal. It's not a constitutional right. Um, and, and generally what we are trying to, uh, from our appeals office, and trying to push the, the local defender who tries the case to do is that if your client is out on bail and they show up when they're supposed to and they get convicted, that that's the kind of case that you would want to file a motion to have an appeal uh, bail set. It's, um, you know, there's certain sex offenses that you, you cannot get bail, but uh but for the most part, particularly with property crimes, we're trying to encourage seeking seeking bail as you go up on appeal. Um, it, it's not; it, it is going to be more restrictive, but um, the and it's completely within the discretion of the court. But but we're trying to encourage people to ask. Andre, we love having you on in legal terms. You're just involved in so many. Uh, important, interesting um, parts of uh, Mississippi's legal system that we enjoy having you on and having you give us your knowledge. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Java and Michelle. I'm not sure who our call screener was. Thank you, Jay White, for being our engineer. And for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Thank you uh, for listening to In Legal Terms, heard 10 a.m. Central on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.